0: I like to draw your attention once more to that distinction between calm and insight. It appears again and again that there is confusion about that. A confusion which is mostly due to the fact that one doesn't pay enough attention to what's happening in the meditation. It wasn't clear enough. Also, possibly because it hasn't been explained often enough, The first steps that I mentioned in this course were all geared towards calm or serenity Samatha in Pali Or Samadhi All the same word Serenity, calm, tranquility A mind that is focused. I like to compare that to cooking a pudding. If you put a pot with a pudding on the stove and don't turn the heat on it remains a watery wobbly mass which at the slightest touch goes every which way. Once you put the heat on, and start stirring, and keep that heat on long enough that pudding comes together, it gels and it becomes solid. And then when there is a touch from the outside, it doesn't wobble and wiggle and run away It remains the same. That's the mind. The watery, wobbly mass that hasn't come together, that hasn't had enough heat put on to stay in one spot and become solid. That's the training for calm and serenity or tranquility. And for that, the guidelines were the different ways of protecting ourselves from unwholesomeness and using the mind to gain access to absorption states, which at the same time then counteract the hindrances that what are obstacles. If we have a solid tool, obviously it works much better. In fact, a solid tool is the only tool that can make any impact. I remember seeing children's toys made out of uh, rubber or plastic in the form of screwdrivers, hammers, nails and so forth so that their mothers aren't going to go screaming when their children play with it because they don't make a noise and they don't make holes, these tools. A tool made out of rubber or plastic isn't going to do much good. It's a toy. Only when the tool becomes solid and is sharp, one-pointed, can it make the impact it's supposed to make, make the hole or uh, screws in, or whatever it is, its purpose and its function the purpose and function of the mind is to gain insight. But as long as it's a toy mind, rubbery, moving, it can't make the necessary impact. It can't get in there. It's a tool for this one purpose. Usually we use it for many other purposes. We use it for making a living, for finding entertainment, for amusement and other times also for anger and resistance and harming. So we use it for many things. It only comes to our attention that its purpose is to gain insight when its earth is brought to our notice. And when it's brought to our notice, even then, we may not think that that is what we really want. What we really want would like to be calm. That's fine. That's no problem. And because the only thing that's necessary is to be put on the right path. What's that old proverb? You can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But you've got to show it where the water is. So, the purpose of the mind is to gain insight. How much insight? It's up to each person. In order to do that, it has to become the appropriate kind of tool sharp solid not touched by outer circumstance to start getting wobbly and dissolving into its own imagination but remaining solid that's a way of calm and serenity and tranquility that is the first aspect I was talking about during this course from then on after having gained some information possibly even gained some calm we must look at the ways and means of using that tool now supposing or assuming that the tool has already come together and become solid and one-pointed and sharp. Since that is most likely not the case, that it has become quite solid and sharp, we will work on both levels, calm and insight. And again, I like to point out that there are certain times during the day when the mind is more inclined towards one or the other and there are no hard and fast rules you have to be alert to yourself to find out what is the proper approach now am I really wide awake and able to direct the mind towards coming calm and one-pointed or would it be better at this time to use the approaches towards insight, because my mind feels a little foggy, woozy, sleepy, drowsy or even disinterested, bored indifferent The mind is indifferent It's like putting on an armor and being inside of that It is Almost like a death knell Indifference is the greatest enemy of any growth never mind spiritual growth anything whatever it may be and it does arise it arises out of negative thinking what's the use I can't do it it's too difficult I don't know anybody anyway who's enlightened what is all this about enlightenment who needs it all sorts of negative ideas which come up in the mind unbidden, unwanted and they create indifference or even dislike but indifference is enough that is the time to become aware of such a state of mind and just give it a label and say "Uh aha, indifference and then use the various approaches towards insight which I have started to mention to you and will continue to mention some others. Last night I mentioned two of them about the body, finding out about the body being one thing and the mind another and two ways of using that in meditation. When the time is there to do that, one has to know, this is the moment I need to do this. Obviously, it is preferable to have first gotten the solid, sharp tool of calm, of serenity. But since none of us are perfect, and we just can't do it by wanting we have to use all the support systems available and insight is support for calm and calm is support for insight if we feel, if we sit and we start to meditate on the breath and try to become one-pointed and we feel that the mind is flipping It's a feeling of slipping off. It can't stay on that line. It just keeps slipping and not knowing where it's going. That's the time to go towards insight. Very difficult at that time to make the mind obey. The practice of insight, as I have already started to explain, gives a little more interest. It can even be quite amusing. When insight arises, an aha experience, it can very easily cause one to smile, to smile about one's own delusion. How for so very long one has gone along one way of thinking, without even giving it any kind of interrogation or investigation we've just gone along with it and now all of a sudden one sees the exact same thing namely this body in a totally different light and if that is a true insight it is always connected with everything we know anyway, just seeing it in a different light. The Buddhist genius in the fact that he talked only about that which is completely available and open to all of us, body and mind. We know all about it, but we see it in the wrong light. And so any kind of insight that arises, it has that, we don't need to say aha, but it has this sort of little movement in the mind where we can see quite clearly that it has always been this way that the insight is showing us, except that we just didn't look at it that way. I often think of those pictures that are, are in children's colour, colouring books where there is a menu where there are several trees and you're supposed to find the faces in those trees and at first all you see are the trees, you can't see the faces at all and then all of a sudden after having looked a while you see, aha, there is a face amongst those leaves and then you look away again and the face is gone again and you look again of course there's a cow it's quite obvious and yet if you look at it superficially it's just trees no cow at all I'm sure you've all seen those things especially if you've got children they love that it's exactly the same as our insight it's all there Except we don't look. And when we look, we're too superficial. We don't look long enough. That's what these meditation courses are for, just to keep looking long enough. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all happened before. It's just the way of looking at it. The words, there's nothing new under the sun, were said about two thousand years before the Buddha. But it's exactly what the Buddha said. So we need to look. And this looking needs to be done in a different way. Obviously, we ought to be able to know all that by ourselves, but we don't. We're too habituated and conditioned. And of course the Buddha knew that. And so he gave detailed instructions on how to look at ourselves. And if we do that often enough and with a sincere commitment of wanting to find out what's hidden behind this appearance that we have of ourselves, we will eventually see it. It is actually impossible not to see it. It's only the appearance which covers it all up. And since most people don't take the time to go behind the appearance, they never find out. And so we go from problem to pleasure, and from pleasure to problem in continual change and when we have a a period when there's more pleasure than problem we think we're doing great and when there's a period when there's more problem than pleasure we think the world's against us but in reality it's a 50-50 proposition for everyone This is the reason why the Buddha said the human realm is the best one for gaining enlightenment. We've got enough problems to finally want to come to a meditation course. He didn't say it like that. (laughs) He said we have enough problems, enough dukkha, so that we finally find out that there's something we ought to do. But we also have enough pleasure not to become totally depressed because when one is depressed it's impossible now this is a very important aspect which we need to watch yesterday I started telling you about the five heaps that we consist of and explained the first heap body now let's have a look why it's called heaps. The word aggregate means as something that has been put together out of several parts. It's an aggregation of different parts. Now in the body that appears to be quite so. We have, we consist of different parts, but that's not the meaning of aggregate. That's why we, can, we uh, translate it into heaps when the mindfulness has become strong enough, when this tool of the mind is heavy, solid and sharp, it can actually discern that nothing that we know about ourselves has any solidity in it. And that is not just all the bits and pieces of the body, but the bits and pieces of everything, each thought, has no solidity it is actually an energy particle everything that we know about ourselves is arising in a heap which falls apart and this action can be discerned it's an action of like this the whole universe is like that. The whole of the universe contracts and expands. And we go do that along with the universe. We are actually nothing apart from the universe. It's all very well what we've got to experience. So that's why it's called aggregates. It comes together and it falls apart and it comes together and it falls apart. Now, beside body, we have mind, and mind has four parts. The first thing we need to find out is, how do these four parts of mind work? And we can use that as a meditation subject. As I have already said, you decide when it's time for calm or when it's time for insight. One helps the other. You need to be sure to recognize the difference. The difference, which is easy to see, staying on the breath, becoming absorbed is the way to calm, recognizing the impermanence of anything at all is going towards inside. Now there many different ways of going towards inside. Four aspects of mind, and they're always mentioned in this sequence. In Pali, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, vijnana Feeling, perception, mental formation, and consciousness. But it works the other way around, and this is something that we need to experience it works consciousness feeling perception mental formation why consciousness is put at the end I cannot say how does this work the word consciousness vinyana in Pali has many meanings in this case it has one sense consciousness which means our five senses plus thinking. Six senses. Now that's the first thing that happens. The next thing is feeling. There is no way out of that sequence except on the sankhara, on the mental formation. The sense consciousness is something we have to have. We can't live without seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling and thinking. There is no way we can be without the feeling that arises from them. Whether we are aware of it or not, it doesn't matter. There are so many things we are not aware of. It arises. There's no way we can change our perception because it's based on our memory. And it's the namer; It gives the thing a name so that we know what we're dealing with. But the last one, the sankara, the mental formation, is the one that makes karma. And therefore it's sometimes also called karma formation because it reacts. It says, I like it or I don't like it. I'll have it or I won't have it. I can't stand it or I want to be there all the time. It's mine or it's yours. It makes all the decisions. All the judgments. And it's so opinionated that it makes judgments before it has even thought about it. Now, it is a very important meditative pathway, which can be used in the meditation, to recognize that this is really so. There's no sense in, even if you do remember it, to say, well, I uh, found out that you first have your sense consciousness, then you have feeling, perception, and mental formation, and you can't change any of that, just the mental formation, finished. That's useless, huh? Totally useless. In fact, you won't even remember it. The only thing that one remembers is what one has actually practiced and found out for oneself. And then, having it done often enough, it becomes part of oneself. One says of the enlightened one that the enlightened one is the Dhamma, not knows the Dhamma or spouts the Dhamma, is the Dhamma. So, in the meditation, we can do this. Let's say it's an unpleasant feeling which you become aware of. Let's say in, in the right knee. So you can first ascertain that there has been a sense consciousness. Now the sense consciousness are our six senses, but the sense consciousness in order to work needs an object a sense object let's try it with seeing it's a little easier this eye is in good condition it is able so this is a sense space now it has an object this when the sense consciousness the eye consciousness the seeing consciousness hits the object. We have the contact which produces seeing. If there's nothing, absolutely nothing, we don't see because there's nothing to see. We need an object. We also need a base which is in good order, which works. If we are blind, we can't do it. But we presume that all our senses are in good order. So we have a base, an object, and from the base comes the consciousness which then produces the action. Now here we have a touch contact. We have a body which is the base, the sense base for the touch. We have the object which is the knee on the the now with that base working and with the object there the touch consciousness arises and there so it's a threefold movement which uh, comes out in the actual action of the sense One has to do it to see it. Then, with that touch comes feeling. There's no way out of that. The enlightened one also has feeling. And there are three kinds. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. That's all there is. And pleasant and unpleasant, we are very concerned with. Neutral, we don't know because we don't see enough attention or we're quite happy that it's neutral because at least it isn't giving us any problems so we're really only concerned with pleasant and unpleasant now let's say in this case we have an unpleasant feeling from the touch-contact the touch-consciousness has given us an unpleasant feeling now the perception says painful We haven't made any karma yet and we cannot stop any of that. But the next one is the karma making which we can stop. When the mind now says I can't stand this, this is awful. That's making karma, negative karma, mildly so, but negative karma and we have then the reaction. And from that, we get the next step. I'm not coming to the next fit. This is much too strenuous. Or whatever the reaction may be. Or that's the last course I'm going to take. (laughs) Or whatever the mind's going to throw up. Now with that, we start a new cycle. The new cycle is this. Let's say the mind has said... uh, I I don't like this at all. It's useless business. Okay? Negative. Negative thought. Exactly the same thing happens all over again. The negative thought produces an unpleasant feeling. From that unpleasant feeling comes a perception. Naming it. I don't feel good. Or um, depression. Or um, dislike. Or some name. Or anger comes the perception of naming it. And again comes the the sankhara, the mental formation, the reaction, saying, I'm going home. I don't like this at all. Or, um, surely there must be easier ways of doing this, or some reaction. And again we have a mental formation, which is negative, which brings an unpleasant feeling, which brings a perception, which brings a new mental formation. And this is how we operate constantly now obviously it can be done the other way around too it can be done with pleasantness also but i'm using the unpleasantness as the example because those are the things that give us problems that give us that make us uh, make the meditation far more difficult if the mind for instance says i'll use the other way around if the mind says hmm Unpleasant feeling, painful, let's see how I'm handling this, let me watch the mind, aha, uh-huh. I can see that, the, that I'm disliking it, can I try to become neutral towards it, equanimous even-minded, because it is obvious that I will not live this life without painful feelings, Can I try to learn right now how to deal with them? A positive reaction. Maybe one can deal with them. Maybe one can't. But it was a positive reaction in the mind which then the feeling is one of buoyancy a pleasant feeling which comes from that. And that pleasant feeling, then the perception is I'm making good effort and the next mental formation is I can make more effort. Can you see this constant um, merry-go-round which we are subject to? And if we keep, if we watch this very carefully in the meditation we can see quite clearly that we're doing everything to ourselves positive or negative it works this way all the time it's always the touch uh, sorry the sense consciousness naturally not always touch any of the others the sense consciousness which brings about the sense action, the seeing, hearing, tasting, so forth, which brings the feeling, which brings the naming, the perception, which then brings the mental formation. Only that last one we have a choice. And that's the choice we need to make. And we have to learn that we can make that choice. In the meditation, this is particularly Um, beneficial to learn this sequence in oneself and see that one can actually choose which mental formation we can put there the immediate reaction is usually a too painful feeling is usually one of uh, resistance but that too we can change we can change it to one of equanimity. It doesn't have to be dislike. But that's not only the only thing that we can watch. We can use this same sequence in the thoughts which arise during the meditation. Now when we see, when we are aware of the fact that the thoughts are arising, And as they arise, they give us a feeling. Now this is very subtle sometimes, but sometimes not so subtle. For instance, we want to be concentrated, we'd like to become calm, and the thoughts just won't stop. They keep coming, and at that particular time, we're beginning to feel disgusted, angry, upset, um, worried, negative about ourselves. So we have a very unpleasant feeling because of the thoughts that are arising. The next thing that happens is the naming, the perception whether we want to label or not. We are doing it anyway and we're saying constant thinking or whatever it is and then comes our reaction and the reaction may be the mental formation which comes, it may be this is useless I'm going to sit this one out I can't do it anyway I've tried for so many years (laughs) I'm giving up Or the mind might say, well, it's a little difficult, so I'll start again. Choice. The choice between the positive or the negative reaction, which will start that same cycle again of pleasant or unpleasant feeling, because thinking is also sense consciousness, which produces feeling, which produces perception, which produces a new reaction. And the other thing that, now this is a very important meditative investigation, which brings us to an understanding how a human being functions. We don't only function like that in meditation. I'm using these as examples so that they can be used during the meditative period. But we function like this all the time. This is a human being, and the Buddha said that's all there is to a human being, there's nothing else. Those five heaps, the body and four of mind. In order to accept that, because we think of ourselves as something a little more exalted, don't we? (laughs) We are supposed to be the uh, peak of creation. I don't know who ever thought that one up. But if that was all to cre- that there was to creation, I would be really a pity. The Buddha has a cosmology of 31 realms of existence in which we are the fifth from the bottom. Now that makes more sense.
1: <laughs>
0: Especially if, we, if what we know about ourselves. He said there are only those five things. And that's all there is. There is nothing else. Now that bears investigation. The first reaction of most people is, no, that can't be all. There must be something else. I mean, surely, we've done so many wonderful things, you know, gone to the moon and written sonnets and ballads and all, operas and what else. And uh, there must be something else. That is a very important investigation which comes together with what I've just described, that constant recurrence and cyclical um, appearance within. Is there something else within that cycle of the mind? Also to be done in meditation. Now, when we have seen this in meditation, it is extremely Helpful to also investigate that outside of meditation. We see, we hear, we touch, we smell, we taste. And we think outside of meditation. Watch it. Become aware of it. What's happening? What is going on? How does this cycle work? Is it like this or is it different? Can I find something else within Is there anything else to be found? The only way that we will ever accept that this is all there is to us and that this is actually the way we operate is when we watch this process objectively. Because our whole illusion of me comes from the fact that we think we own this process. It's me thinking which brings one always unfailingly to the question well, who is it that knows all that? It's a totally wrong question because we haven't accepted the fact yet that there is just knowing and nobody owning that knowing. This is the most profound and the widest reaching aspect of the Buddhist teaching and therefore the most difficult to even intellectually grasp, never mind experience. Sometimes one could say that it's easier to experience and to grasp. However, if one experiences it without understanding it, it's also useless. We've got to have both. We have to have the understood experience. So it's, and in order to give the guidelines, it needs to be explained. And therefore, it is important to get at least a bit of an understanding of where this teaching takes us in order to eliminate all Dukkha. And Dukkha is not tragedy. I will talk about Dukkha at another time, but it's not tragedy. Dukkha is the constant change. We can't hang on. So the first thing is to, do, to do is to find this cyclical um, process. The second thing to do is to see the interminence of each of those steps. they continue continuous as a continuous merry-go-round within. Up to this time we may have seen ourselves as this one lump of me and probably have often wondered why we react to certain stimuli in a certain way over and over again although that reaction never brings any happiness everybody does that sort of thing because we haven't seen this process within which is a totally objective process but are subjectively owning it now it is very important to have another investigation very helpful to investigate whether one can really own something that is so fleeting and transient that one can hardly name it and it's already gone fleeting and transient such as our sense contact our perception, our feeling, our perception, our mental formation, none of those that we've ever had in this lifetime are still with us. They're all gone. None of those that we had ten minutes ago are still with us. They're all gone. Which one of those billions of sense contacts, feelings, perceptions, or mental formations, are we? Billions and billions and billions and billions of them. Well, we must then be a different person every moment because we have a different feeling, perception, and mental formation every moment. And that's true we are and if we are a different person every single moment which one is called me if we think that all of them are me then we are beset by a a tribe of billions of people all called me each one having a different thought different feeling and none of them remaining it's an illusion it's too much like what today the um, animates like. And this part, each part was animated. And if you flip the
1: part quickly enough, it seems as if as there, as there, as was,
0: as there as was a person one. It's exactly the same thing. <laughs> this is the way we are. Because it's all moving, because you're sitting in, a, in that illusion of this is me doing all that, we have this problem of individuality,
1: reality, which, uh,
0: fear. As we see this cyclical process within us and see that this happens constantly, we get a little more distance to it. It isn't so much anymore this idea that everybody has well, I never like um, I always like life I um, don't like people who um, don't um, talk about spiritual things uh, these ideas of one's own solid reaction which is unchanging It's an idea of ownership, of one's reaction, and yet it's a completely wrong way of looking at ourselves because we react very much habitually, but yet differently, all the time. And if we watch ourselves more carefully, And particularly investigate if there is an anything like heat that we consider. The onus of these is our problem. Because it appears to be as if there is no impermanence. Because there is now that is that same principle of moving those cards. Fast. We don't even recognize the fact that this breath is completely impermanent because it's continuous. It's continuously impermanent. That we have to break into. The other thing which we don't recognize. Is that everything, far on has the purpose of in it. Because we move away from that. Exactly in the same way as we move when we feel uncomfortable in sitting. We move away, either physically or in our mind, from. The unsatisfactory aspect, we don't want to see it. It also has satisfaction in it, so we don't want to see the unsatisfactory aspect. For instance, relationships, they can be satisfactory. We don't like to see that we are also fearful that they might stop. It's a very satisfactory We don't want to know about that. Everything has the inbuilt impermanence in it, and therefore it can't be totally satisfactory. We might say, well, I'll take that in my stride. All right, that's fine. But it is a policy of sticking one's head in the sand. And it will never last everybody comes up against it somewhere along the line and then it's a tragedy which it isn't it's the law of nature it's no tragedy and this is where we go wrong because we haven't investigated so the continuity hides the impermanence the moving away from, either mentally or physically, hides the dukkha, and the solidity and compactness hides the substanceless corelessness. This body has substance and uh, we can touch it. It seems compact and uh, solid. The wall is solid and compact, and uh, even our thoughts seem solid. We are thinking them, so they must be right. There's something behind them, I mean, after all, we're intelligent people. So, it's a worthwhile thought, isn't it? But, because of this solidity, we don't see the lack of an inner core. The lack of inner core is what the non-self is, but the lack of inner core goes further than just non-self. It applies to everything. Our self-illusion is based on the fact, on those three facts, continuity, solidity, and the uh, movement away from the unpleasantness, And our our, I, me illusion, is based on this ownership of something that we think we can hang on to. We can keep. So the investigation is very important just for that. What can I keep? What can I hang on to? What is really solid? It's easier to investigate in that way, what can I keep, what can I hang on to, than to investigate the other way and say, well, what, what is all this, is it all nothing? It's much easier to go this way and say, what is solid, what can I have, and thereby come nearer to the truth. Now sometimes people think when they hear that, or when they haven't done it yet, or just, you know, get the idea of how to do it, that this will be a denial of all pleasures, that this will be a loss of the most important thing that we can have, that it will mean a life of drabness, that it will mean a life without any... um, input of joy and shy away from that. Of course, that's a totally wrong idea. It means that one is intellectualizing something which has no basic int- basis and truth. The me illusion is the bugbear which we are carrying on our back. It needs protection It needs support, it needs constant reinforcement and affirmation. If somebody puts us down and says, oh, you're stupid, or you'll never learn it, or something of that nature, we feel terrible. Why? The ego has got a knock somebody says, you're wonderful, so clever, marvellous, you feel great, ego's got a boost. If it was really something solid that was, could be found and kept, it wouldn't need all this reaffirmation and uh, support system all the time. We don't have to go around saying, this hall is big, beautiful and exists. Everybody knows it. We don't have to say a thing, Uh, nothing to say about it, it just is. We don't have to say, this body, this body here, exists. Perfectly clear that it does. Nobody needs any affirmation for that. But, that what we are, this inner being, we think we own all that, that needs the affirmation because we're so totally unsure of where it is. We can't find it, we can't touch it, we can't see it. We just have this idea. It's there. And if somebody doesn't approve of that idea and doesn't support it, we feel terrible. That in itself should give us pause to think that there's something wrong in our approach to ourselves. And if we investigate in that analytical way which I have described to you and come back to seeing what of all this stuff we could possibly own we will get a better idea where insight can lead us We're not going to lose the me We're not going to lose this person We're going to lose the illusion who this person is. And once we lose that illusion of who this person is, we're free. We're free, we're liberated. So much talk about liberation, all sorts of liberation, this is the only liberation there is. We don't have to protect, we don't have to support, We don't have to fear, because there's nobody there that needs the protection, that needs to be um, feared for. There's nothing there that has any... There's nobody we need to worry about. Nothing that we have to do. It's all happening. So the burden of that illusion has been shed then and life goes on just as before in the end the mountain is again a mountain and that might be enough on that subject (laughs) maybe you have some questions you'd like to ask to rearrange my sitting position excuse me Thank you. lost his mental formation he couldn't have those five heaps are the makeup of a human being the illusion is that there's somebody in there little girl or little boy looking out of the eyes hearing out of the ears thinking all these wonderful or terrible thoughts and owning these these heaps that's the illusion there's nobody
1: Sort of <laughs> Well, <laughs> sorry and let be honest
0: <laughs> um, What part of it is not clear? No and what you need to do, I think, uh, will be that when you sit in the meditation, to check out those five heaps, have you got them? First, check out, Have you got them? Then see how do they work, the process. And then, are you thinking their mine? And then try to figure out why am I thinking their mind. And maybe that brings a little nearer, but granted, this is the most difficult aspect, and it is the one that takes one to total freedom. So it is the most difficult one. Gently, gently, slowly, slowly.
1: anatta? Hmm? <coughs>
0: Sorry, I didn't catch that. Can you say that again?
1: When the mental formation
0: stops.
1: Stop. Yes.
0: Well, when the mental formations stop, that means there's no thinking. That's right. right. But that leads one to calm and serenity. The moment the past moment which is a complete stopping of everything. That is is just one moment, just like that. And that is a stopping of calm, peace, everything is stopped. But mental formation is a stopping of thinking, and that brings calm. And it does have the connotation of no self because at that time there is no support system for self so when one comes back or out of that one realizes quite clearly that the common serenity can only be attained when the me has been laid to rest for that time but this is not the this is an, it is an understanding of the bothersomeness of me, but it's not the experience yet of the non-me, of the anatta, of the corelessness. It is an understanding of it, but it's not the experience of it. Uh, is that clear? Yes. yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> a very long way. <laughs>
0: uh, well. Um, the length of the way the length of the journey is not the criteria the criteria is taking the journey and enjoying every step on the way that's the criteria how long that journey is is individually different depending where we started from in this life and who knows, I surely don't. So that's the criteria. If we don't enjoy the journey, why should we take it? Very few people do something they don't enjoy. It doesn't have to be that we get pleasant feelings all the time. The enjoyment is also one of knowing that one is going in the right direction. It's also a joy. Okay, what else? Anything else? Yes.
2: When uh, really you <coughs> mentioned about the um, um, sex contact and then the Into syndrome Of one negative thing coming after another. Um, is that a useful way
0: of being out mm-hmm. Yes, certainly. Um, it is, uh, however, knowing it in that way, it is useful. But using it as a constant um, flight, or, um, you know, a, a getting away from it all it's not useful. But knowing that this is what's happening, that I'm being negative, I can't get out of my negativity, so I'll do something entirely different to m- get my positive thinking back, that's fine. Understanding it like that. When that understanding is lacking, that's when people are constantly searching for pleasant sense contact. As long as that understanding is there, it's fine. Would you
2: say except, uh, it's a result of Obviously, have more tendency to have constant streams of either positive or negative reactions to things because, although the first response to the painful need for everybody is yes, they dislike it, um, for some people it seems to be fairly easy to get away from a continuous negativity that comes up, but (coughs) for others it's very difficult because the negativity just seems to be very hand built.
0: Uh, I I really can't say whether this is karmic or not, or whether it's uh, environmental and habitual, I really can't say, but even then it's karmic because what we have done uh, in this lifetime is actually the karma we're faced with. All this stuff that's gone on before, I don't think we need to even consider that because we don't know anything about it. So if in this lifetime we have built up to certain negativities, which we have again and again used, uh, justifying them for one reason or another, naturally we will be more steeped in the negativity. Whereas if in this lifetime we have built up more positive thinking, we will be more steeped in that. So it is a matter of um, getting out of the old habits also. Um, Things that are easy for oneself, are not such enormous learning situations. The things that are very difficult present enormous learning situations. I'm not by any means saying that one now has to sit with the pain. On the contrary, I'm saying the exact opposite. It's totally useless to become more and more negative. The whole aspect of meditation is negated by becoming more and more negative about a painful feeling. If the mind keeps saying, I'm going to sit through this, and if it's the last thing I do, (laughs) it's useless. It's totally useless. Um, uh, What I'm advocating is to know what the mind is doing, to try and change what the mind is doing, and eventually, if the mind is not willing to change or uh, just hasn't got the ability yet to give in to it and say, uh huh. I haven't got the ability not justifying it just saying I haven't got the ability now exactly the same thing holds true for being together with other people for instance one may be in a situation where one dislikes a person and is thrown together with this person and eventually says oh, I can't stand this guy I just can't do it I'm, I hate him You know, and uh, be so angry with that person and say, I'm getting out of this. And blaming the other person for being so terrible. That's the wrong way of doing it. Getting out of the situation, if one can't come to terms with it, yes, we're not perfect. But to admit that I just haven't got the ability yet, I've got to grow. And when I have have the ability, I might be able to be together with that person, or I might one day be able to sit even though it is painful. I haven't got this ability yet. Um, In other words, we look at ourselves and say there are learning situations, but we do not force ourselves to learn something for which we're not ready. We have to gently become ready. So it is a matter of changing one's mind and then, if it isn't possible, give in to it and you're quite right some people find it easier and some find it harder and that is our habit that we have established in this or other lives. who knows, most likely in this one, is that?
2: Yeah. So, so when you're in that situation rather than if you are in a fairly negative, going through a fairly negative area rather better to attempt to come to terms with it first. first, and if you can't do anything about it, then you still go to the
0: movie. Right. Exactly. The middle part. Exactly. Because it also helps us to get to know ourselves. You see, if you run off to the movies immediately, you don't have a chance to get to know that the mind is reacting negatively to call or whatever happened, and uh, can't change. It's uh, hanging on to its um, negativity, but if you give it a time and see, yes, I will try and change it, and then give in, you've learned, you know, a lot of big lessons about oneself. Is it always about the same subject, yes. and it keeps on disturbing the meditation? Mm-hmm. And that's all negative, the negative thoughts, okay. It's unwholesome thought. all right. Um, well, that's actually the same thing. You can... The unwholesomeness is always negative, and the negative is unwholesome. So, um, yes, what you can do then is to actually question why am I reacting in this manner, and find an answer. And then as soon as you found an answer, question the answer. Keep on questioning, questioning, questioning. When you get to the bottom line, it says ego. But you've got to get there by yourself. It's no use saying, I came, Kim, I said the bottom line is ego, so okay, finished. You know, that's useless. You've got to get there by yourself. You know?
1: But there is a very strong rejection as soon as you arrive. Right. It's, it's very strong, trying to push it as look, this is negative. And there is always that tension that to, to, to reject it and then it keeps coming up. And there seems to be tension
0: to get there. You want to reject it, but it keeps coming back. Yeah. Well, don't reject it and cre- question it. uh, um, greet it as an old friend who has come to visit you again and uh, actually you don't really want him in the (coughs) house so find out why he keeps coming (laughs) he knows he's not welcome so why the hell is he coming all the time Hmm? I mean you've told this this um, thought that it's unwelcome and yet it keeps arriving so you question that Question, why is it coming? Yeah? Anything else? Yes. The last of years of, I
1: think intellectually um, rejecting this and calling the illusion that it's there and um, denying any need for any support for that for illusion, that we should be that support.
0: I didn't get Let me see if I'm getting this right. Um, you accepted the fact that the me is an illusion. Is that right? Intellectually. Um, and therefore, you didn't want to get a support for it so that it wouldn't get any bigger than it is already. And then you got depressed. Right. Um, and did that all start with learning about the ego illusion? I don't think so. Um, I tell you what that is. In order to let go of something, you have to have it solidly in hand. Now, if I want to get... Me. with this ego not totally but most of the time a female problem um, you've got to have your sense of self totally in hand you don't need other people to constantly confirm it you've got to have it in hand because once you have it in hand the reaction and the Um, relationship with others is changed also so first you get yourself, your inner person, your person completely in hand and only then do we start letting go as long as there is a sort of um, um, feeling of um, maybe I'm this, maybe I'm that maybe I'm not good, maybe I'm not good enough all this kind of thing there is such a um, disturbance that you can't get it solidly in hand. We all have it. We all have this ownership syndrome, and it's a very um, deeply anchored, this ownership syndrome of the five heats. Huh? But you have to first, before you go into that, you first have to see, well, who am I actually as, as with ego and all? which is, at first, a self-affirmation, and then only comes that analysis. You see, this non-self is not a self-negation. This is a big mistake. The self-affirmation has to bring you that solidly, to have a solid in hand. It's not a self-negation. It's an analysis which brings one to the understanding of an illusion. That there is an illusion. It's not a self-negation. In other words, I don't make myself small to lose it. I have to see the the illusion. Is that clear? Yes,
1: I'm
0: not quite sure what my next step is. In your meditation, investigate the five heaps. And become aware of the fact that you feel that you own them, that you are them. And then see how they function. And then don't think that to come to non-self, to that understanding, means that one um, negates that what one is. Eventually we negate the illusion that we are anything. But not we don't negate that what we are. Can you see the difference? Okay.
1: <laughs> Anything else? Yes. have
0: It takes a lifetime to develop what? You can't uh, develop something that's solid. But you see the mistake that people make, which I'm referring to in in this case, is the fact that people think if they um, make themselves sort of smaller than other people, inferior to them, um, don't need any appreciation, um, then they thereby don't give any appreciation to themselves either, that that's going to take care of the non-self. The inferiority is just as much a self as the superiority. Somebody is inferior, somebody is superior. The whole thing does not work. What you don't have to um, develop anything. We've got it. We've got the illusion. There's nothing to develop. What I'm talking against is this inferior uh, making oneself small. You know, I'm so I'm not as intelligent as others or whatever. This kind of thing. Um, so one has to see quite clearly that one identifies with those five feet. That is, the, that is the seeing of the self. Yes, that is we identify with those five feet. Yes, but it's the wrong thing to do. Sorry? Yes, and it's the wrong thing to do. Totally wrong. Because we neither have a self nor do we want to get rid of a self. We have an illusion and we want to get rid of an illusion. So self-denial is doesn't work. Because it's, again, self. There's a self. And it's being denied. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, and it doesn't work. doesn't work at all. It's the illusion we want to get rid of. And that is, that one aspect of what I explained today is one way of getting in there, this inter- investigation. Huh? Yes. self-denial. I don't think it's common in the people who have done meditation courses with me.
1: <laughs>
0: it depends who you do them with I suppose. But I mean you can see quite logically that it doesn't it doesn't follow, does it? Since we haven't got our self, what's there to deny? It? Right? Yes. Hmm? Well, if the self-denial turns into generosity, which means giving to others, if it turns into helpfulness and service, it's very helpful. I will talk about those things also. But if it turns into um, inferiority and a hypocritical uh, way of um, being um, humble, I'm ever so humble, or maybe playing holy
1: doesn't work
0: not drinking is self-denial
1: <laughs> huh?
0: yes, renunciation is fine so it's part of the virtues mm. no yes Renunciation is fine. Renouncing certain sense pleasures because one sees that they do not do one any good and also that one spends far too much time and energy trying to get them and that they take one off the path because one is concerned with them, that's fine. Renunciation is one of the ten virtues. Like what? Well, I mean, the, the ego wants lots of things which aren't very wholesome because we have those um, uh, we have the three good roots and the three uh, unwholesome ones so the the, uh, the ego wants lots of stuff that it's not good for us We have to become our own best friend and a friend who knows what's good for the friend But renunciation is a good thing to do Well, it should not bring depression if it's done with a sense of understanding why you're doing it. If somebody has forced you to do it, yes. But if you know why you're doing it, you should have joy from it, that you're capable of it. It's a self-discipline which one brings a great deal of appreciation for oneself. Yes. like somebody who wants to stop smoking and can't and feels upset about it well Uh, a person who wants to achieve something will always be disappointed but what we can do is we can just gently um, do a little more little, little by, by little and enjoy our effort the effort is to be enjoyed for the sake of effort if we are always con- concerned with the result, we'll always be disappointed. Oh, sure, it's difficult. If it was so easy, we could all do it. Yes, it's not too, of course it's difficult. But the, the result, to be attached to the result, makes our lives difficult. It's the effort, which is the effort in itself, is the help. That's the way to enjoy it. Somebody else had their hand up. Yes. Making the right choices, well, that's part of it, yes. But what you need to do in order to find out where the self sits is to find out about those five heaps whether you feel that you own them. And once you know that you feel you own them, you know where the self sits. That's where the self is. The, the solid self is, um, is an expression which I meant as not to feel inferior, humble, um, a lack of um, a trying to make oneself l- less than others. That's not going to help because that too is self. Self is less, self is more. There is no, nobody like that. There's nobody doing anything. It's an imagination. And we're trying to get rid of the imagination. But that has to be done slowly and gently. So the first step into that is to find out where is this self that I'm concerned with. So that is sitting in the ownership of those five heaps. That's a meditative procedure. Once one sees that, one is able to maybe start doing something about it. And certainly, a self-image is another self-support, it's another identification. That's that's important. Yes, of course one should have self-respect. Because if one doesn't respect oneself, how is one going to respect others? Naturally, that is very important, self-respect. And not because one has done something great, or one has uh, been so clever, so rich, so beautiful, but just because one is a human being making the best effort one can. That's sufficient to have self respect.
1: Somebody
0: else has their hand up, yes. The same
1: thing, correct, the same
0: it's not the same thing, no. The feeling is that which arises, the perception is the namer. Sorry, I didn't catch that.
1: Yeah? That's a
0: perception to say this is a feeling that has arisen. Yes? No, no, that's not true. Um, In the um, meditative absorption, there has to be feeling, but no naming. Because once you start naming, oh, this feels wonderful, or isn't it great, or uh, uh, how pleasant, or I wish I could do it every day, or something like that, you haven't got the feeling anymore. You've got, lost it. So, feeling is first. And in order to find that, you become very analytical about oneself. And you find that the feeling is there. And then comes the perception and says, ah, it may just say feeling, the perception. It may just say pleasant, it may say anything, but it says something. Feeling is just feeling, and in the meditative absorption, it has to be just that, which is the only example that comes to mind at the moment, without the perceiving of it. The perceiving is already the mental uh, mental activity starting. Uh, it seems to, but it doesn't. It seems to come at the same time because everything works so quick. I took three quarters of an hour to explain it. It takes not even three quarters of a second to do it. It's so quick. Yes, yes. Through the analysis and the watching, you can you can actually, as if you're. Um, doing a a slow movement you know slowing it down so that these very quick um, uh, frames